Mike. Lauren. Mike, are you planning to take advantage of the Inflation Reduction Act? Are you going to buy an EV, maybe? Uh, I can't really afford an EV, but can I get a tax credit for putting a windmill in the 100 square feet of concrete that I call my backyard? Okay, I've, I've been to that backyard. Is there any wind? There typically isn't wind there. Oh, yeah, there's tons of wind. Really? Yeah. Also, I don't know the answer to your question. <laughs> we should talk about <laughs> we it. We should. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Marco Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. We're also joined this week by Wired writers Matt Simon, who joins us here in studio in San Francisco, and Ariane Marshall, who's joining us from a closet in Seattle. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Good to be back. Okay, so last week, President Joe Biden signed a huge bill into law. It's called the Inflation Reduction Act. And as its name implies, it's supposed to curb inflation here in the United States. But it also allocates nearly $400 billion toward building renewable energy sources and basically retrofitting America, as Matt put it. That includes tax credits and rebates that we, consumers, can use on stuff like electric vehicles, heat pumps, and solar panels. So if you're wondering, well, how do I get in on it? That's what we're here to talk about today. Matt and Ariane have been parsing through this 730-page bill and figuring out what it all means. Matt, you wrote a story for Wired.com about how this massive climate bill can save people money. So does that mean um, Mike can finally buy his Cybertruck? No. <laughs> I mean, if that's what Mike really wants, sure. Go ahead, Mike. Um, when's it available? 30 years? I don't know. No, but um, so this bill is uh, sneaky in a certain way in that it is giving out a lot of money for homeowners to prepare their houses for climate change. And that is through tax credits and rebates, which sounds like uh, terrible tax code stuff, but it's actually very interesting. Can you tell us what the difference is between a tax credit and a tax deduction and a tax rebate? Sure. So a tax deduction is so you make what, $70,000 a year, a tax deduction would be like, okay, take $5,000 off of that. Then you get tax on $65,000 a year. Uh, tax credit is a bit different in that it takes off a full $5,000. So if you get a tax credit for $5,000 on $70,000 of income, you owe however much tax on that. That's $5,000 straight off of that. That's just a lot more money. Um, it's also just a lot more powerful for homeowners to get something like $1,200 for home insulation. That's coming straight off that tax bill. That's not a deduction, which is more convoluted. Um, and this is just supremely powerful for many reasons uh, because Americans like money. <laughs> Who doesn't? And what about a rebate? Rebate is point of sale. So rebates are s more focused toward lower income and middle income people who maybe can't um, wait to get a tax credit for the next year or just don't have enough taxable income to actually make that worthwhile. So with something like a heat pump, you can actually get $8,000 of a rebate straight off of it at the point of sale. With a tax credit, it's more like $2,000. But again, this is meant, uh, a tax rebate is meant for lower income folk who actually need more money to install these sorts of things. That's interesting because when I think of a rebate, I typically think of when I buy contact lenses or something and they say, if you buy them, you get a rebate, but you have to mail in this little, this proof of purchase and, and this little like slip of paper we've given you. And then maybe you'll wait 60 days and maybe you'll get it. 
It's annoying. Uh, this will probably be less annoying, though much more convoluted in the way that it's applied because you have to get a contractor, obviously, to do these sorts of things. But that also means that these contractors are going to be up on these sorts of things because um, this is good for them as well. $8,000 off of what might be a $10,000, $11,000, dollars installation of a heat pump is that's nothing to sneeze at. So what are the key points for homeowners that they need to know if they're considering just taking advantage of any of these reductions or rebates? So the I think the key thing is that there are certain limits a year. So you get 30% off of certain home improvements for high efficiency improvements specifically. So like more insulation, better windows, better doors. You can take 30% off of each of those every year going forward uh, for at least 10 years. That means that if you want to do uh, windows one year, you can do that, $1,200 maximum, uh, up to 30% of that expense. But that's uh, just applied year after year. And, and you can just, over time, retrofit your home in these really important ways to prepare for you know, cold snaps and uh, hotter heat waves, that sort of thing. But just generally being more comfortable and more energy efficient in your home. So if the idea is to get more Americans making their homes more energy efficient, what what's the aggregate effect of that? Like what effect will that have on our climate goals in this country? It's really neat, actually, and it's pretty sneaky the way that they went about it. That sounds like nefarious. <laughs> it's, it's like a, it's a stealthy way to go about mass climate action in this really interesting way. So like you or I retrofitting our home is going to do a little bit. It's going to make ourselves more comfortable. Um, but if you do this across the American landscape and you allocate billions upon billions of dollars for homeowners to do this, in the aggregate, that's actually going to make the huge difference. In the United States, something like 30% of energy usage comes from residential homes. That's a lot. And that has a lot to do with bad insulation. We just are not ready for this, this climate future of a hotter world. So the way that this bill is done is, again, the stealthy way to encourage individual action. But in the aggregate, that's huge for the country as a whole. So a lot of benefits for homeowners, but I rent so what's in it for me? Right. You probably don't want to front $10,000 for a heat pump. Um, no. That's what you're saying. That's, that's on the <laughs> landlord. Yes. So it's a little bit trickier with, with renters because you're not doing these home improvements yourself. But what you can do is talk to your landlord about these improvements being much more economical for them now, um, especially if they're able to get $8,000 off of a heat pump insulation. That's going to be good for them in the long term, just preparing their properties for this climate future. And again, in the aggregate, if we get renters and homeowners all on board to think just fundamentally differently about how we live in the United States, we can't go on like this, just running our air conditionings like crazy or heaters like crazy because we have poorly insulated homes. What this bill will do is hopefully retrofit fast swaths of this country, whether you're a renter and can enjoy the improvements that your landlord hopefully does, um, or if you're a homeowner who wants to do this yourself. And of course, even if you're not a homeowner, you could invest some of your money into a new electric vehicle. But we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the second half of the show with Ariane, uh, for those of you who are waiting with bated breath to hear from Ariane. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, like, let's say that you are a homeowner and you can only afford the upfront cost of one of these clean energy or efficient items, new windows, solar panels, heat pumps. What's the one thing that you would say you can invest in for your home that would make the biggest difference? 
this I apologize this is going to sound really boring but it's really important it's insulation actually we have a huge insulation problem in the United States um, our homes are just not as efficient as they should be you can do great insulation and take 50% off your energy bills immediately before we go around installing lots of solar panels and heat pumps and things like that we really need to think about this really boring idea of insulation it's like squirting foam into walls and things like that. It's going to be very important going forward, especially as we have hotter heat waves. And that is, I think, where we need to focus the most effort. Um, then it just becomes an issue of labor, unfortunately. In the United States, we just don't have the people power to do all this retrofitting. But hopefully that changes going forward. And will that change at all with this bill, with more money being put towards green jobs? There's actually a very interesting incentive here for contractors to work in lower income neighborhoods. Um, they, they get money for doing so, which I think is going to be great for those probably older homes that are less efficient. Um, that will be a much bigger conversation we have about labor going forward that we need training programs. It takes years to train people to do heat pumps, which seems simple to slap one on a house. It's, it's not in any way or to install insulation or doors or windows. We just need more humans to do this. They have training programs like this in Germany. We just don't have as many of them in the United States. Matt, you've mentioned heat pumps a few times. Heat pumps are all the rage these days, and people are hearing a lot about them. I mean, one of our most popular stories on Wired.com recently was one of your stories about heat pumps. What are they and how do they work? So, so hot right now, heat pumps. Just, <laughs> they're all the rage. Pun intended. Climate nerds love heat pumps. They're so powerful um, in in the climate fight. So what a heat pump does is basically works like your refrigerator in a kind of a strange way. So your refrigerator um, doesn't pump cold air into that space. It actually extracts heat from the indoor space of, of the fridge to keep your food cold. And that's why the back of your refrigerator feels warm. That's the heat coming out of that air. Uh, a heat pump works in kind of the same way in that it extracts heat from even cold outdoor air and then pumps that inside and then in the summer reverses to act like an air conditioner, uh, really basically like refrigerator. So you get best of both worlds there. Um, the nice thing about it is that it is fully electric. It's not running on natural gas or anything. So the idea is to have these highly efficient heat pumps running in every American home powered by solar panels on the roof. You can get $7,500 in tax credits from this bill on new solar panels, uh, for instance. Uh, so if you fully electrify a home with these highly efficient heat pumps, uh, we no longer need to rely on fossil fuels from utilities. The idea will be that in the future, American homes will be more active participants in the grid and that we'll be generating our own energy, storing some of it in, in batteries, and then grid operators could then tap into that energy that we're storing. Uh, and then when we need to run our heat pumps, uh, we do so with our renewable power. That's the the big dream. And, and actually, this bill is actually going to push us pretty far in that goal. I look forward to the days of personal heat pumps when we're all wearing vests. I like they're just powered like by a, heat pumps. A, a helmet that <laughs> acts like a refrigerator. I'm all for it. <laughs> I look forward to the wired and tired on that one. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to invite Ariane back into the conversation to talk about how this legislation will affect the EV market.
Ariane, you've been writing about how the Inflation Reduction Act affects EVs, everything from the vehicles themselves to batteries to delivery services. And this is one of the most interesting aspects of all of this, I think. You wrote on Wired.com that the new bill eliminates an old program that capped tax credits. But the bill introduces some new conditions for the cars and that consumers won't get the full credit for an EV unless the vehicle meets those specific requirements. Tell us about this. Yeah, so um, they did some really interesting stuff with electric vehicles here. And a lot of it is um, doing something the U.S. doesn't do often, which is industrial policy. And that means they're kind of creating these new supply chains, new industries out of whole cloth, which is really interesting and kind of something you hear more about in Europe and China. Um, So the way it works here is this new program gives a $7,500 credit to passenger vehicles, but you're only going to start qualifying for that credit in 2023 if the car you want to buy is assembled and manufactured in North America. And right now there's only about 20 or so cars that are qualify some Teslas, some Ford vehicles, vehicles from the uh, startup Rivian, a few others. Um, so there are some pretty heavy duty constraints here. And then it gets even more complicated in 2024 when these new requirements kick in that require that the materials in the electric car batteries are from either from the U.S., North America, or somewhere that we have a free trade agreement with. So that really cuts out China as a partner in building electric vehicles. So, so much of our electric vehicle supply chain, and in particular, the materials that are mined and then refined to create these big, heavy, complicated, powerful electric vehicle batteries. A lot of that is from China. So a lot is going to have to change between now and 2024 for people to have access to that full $7,500 credit off their electric vehicles. So we're talking about the car companies having to rebuild huge parts of their supply chains and have more manufacturing here in the U.S. And we're talking about battery manufacturers having to almost completely readjust their supply chains within just a couple of years. Uh, how is the industry going to manage that? Yeah, so uh, you are right. It's going to be very complicated. There are a lot of big moving parts here. But actually, we're kind of already seeing automakers begin to work on this. Um, earlier this year, we saw announcements from big automakers like Ford. They signed a deal to get more lithium in the U.S. Um, and then just this week, we saw Volkswagen and VW sign agreements to get some of their materials from Canada. So already they're clearly starting to think about kind of the practical effects of this new legislation and how they're going to work around it. Now, these credits, Ariane, they extend all the way to 2032. Does that mean that you could buy a car this year but hold off on applying for any kind of rebate for the whole decade? Do you have to file for a rebate the same year you purchased the car? And also, we should know it's not retroactive, right? So if you bought that shiny new Tesla in 2021, and of course, the Tesla does qualify because it's made in the United States, you're out of luck, right? Yeah, that is unfortunately true. Right when the bill was announced, before it was officially signed, a bunch of automakers who still qualified for the old credit program They sent out all these frantic emails to customers and said, hey, you need to have a binding agreement with us so you can qualify for the current 
tax credit program and get money off right now. But if you didn't do that, you're kind of out of luck. And um, something I didn't mention before is that there are now income caps on these electric vehicle credits. So you could make too much money to, to qualify for these credits. But if you are lower income, middle income, thinking about electric vehicle, I would honestly kind of wait a few months to figure out how the government is going to apply these new programs because they are complicated. And there are a lot of people who are very confused. All right. So in a couple of years, there will be all of these new EVs out on the road, and that's a wonderful thing for the climate. But what about charging them? What about infrastructure? Is there anything built into the bill that is going to guarantee that the infrastructure is going to improve to serve this new market? Yeah. So that is also in the bill. So first off, in the infrastructure bill that passed last year, there is $5 billion to build out this big, sprawling interstate charging network along highways. So that is already in production and states are already trying to to put those in along the highways. What this bill also does is you get tax credits now for building uh, charging infrastructure. So for an individual that could be in your house, you get 30% off of the price up to, I think it's $300,000. And you can also do that if you're a business too. And that's a that's a really big deal. And I think something people haven't really been thinking about enough because 27% of our transportation emissions, which is already like a quarter of what we emit in terms of greenhouse gas every year, comes from heavy and medium duty trucks. And also they release particulate matter, just like trucks are gross. Um, Do you and- mean trucks like passenger trucks, like SUVs or big no, I mean those those big old medium and heavy duty trucks that you see on the highway carrying, you know, all your Amazon Prime goodies from, okay. from place to place. <laughs> and, and food. <laughs> and food. I was wondering oh, how guilty I should feel about my very, <laughs> yeah. very old Jeep. Um, no, no. We're ta- talking specifically about big trucks here. Um, okay. People can get money off for those as well. And they can also, businesses can get money off for building the charging infrastructure for, for those. Now, Experts that I've talked to this week still caution that there's a lot to do on kind of the utility side, making sure that we're getting, you know, the electricity to where it needs to go. There's a lot to build. It's going to be really complicated. But policymakers are certainly aware that we're going to need to have a lot more charging infrastructure and they're working on it. So like a year ago, there was a very different version of this bill bopping around Washington and it was colloquially known as the Build Back Better Act, right? In that version of the bill, there was a tax credit for e-bikes. And now that's gone in this version, which is like a pretty big bummer. But I do want to note that that 30% tax credit you were just talking about for businesses can also be claimed if they install certain kinds of micro-mobility charging equipment. So if you want to make your business more e-bike friendly and you don't have to install something that's going to charge a an EV, you can install something that would also charge an e-bike. Isn't that right? Yes, that sounds right to me. I would also agree that it's a huge bummer that the e-bike part of this didn't make it into the bill. There are so, so many cool e-bikes these days. They're coming down in price, but they're still really expensive. And I think the biggest opportunity for e-bikes is kind of replacing people's or household's second car. Um, So if a family can get around with one car and then 
an e-bike that they can use to get their kids to school, uh, maybe even pick up groceries sometimes with a cargo bike, that would go a really, really far way in combating uh, emissions from transportation. Um, there are some cities that are working on this. It's the good news in some states that have or have or are working on programs for e-bikes, but it's, it's not coming from the federal level and that sucks. To bring this back, I think, to the intersection between our two beats, I think it would be great to talk about the kind of holistic home of the future, where we think that uh, electric vehicles are separate, they're out on roads, but in fact, they're going to be a big component of uh, decarbonized homes going forward. And I was wondering, Aaron, if you had thoughts as to how EVs actually play into our homes, not just the roads. That's a really interesting question, and we should probably write a story on this. We should. Um, <laughs> no one steal our idea. Yeah, no one steal our idea. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of charging going on in single-family homes, and in uh, there are a lot of places that are working now on getting charging up in multi-family dwellings, like apartment buildings, um, on streets, and I think it's really going to change the way that people think about using their vehicles and moving around cities and, and towns. But I'm not exactly sure. I think that's a great, a great question. I'd love to hear if you have thoughts, Matt. Yeah, I just I just always come back to homes becoming more active participants in the grid, as opposed to just using energy. I think there's a future in which distributed electric vehicles across the grid sitting in garages, a utility can tap into those when there's a a shortage of renewable energy on the grid because we have to think about, well, the sun doesn't always shine, wind doesn't doesn't always blow. If we're not using fossil fuels to fill those gaps in the future, those gaps could be filled by electric vehicles just sitting there idle. That's what I keep coming back Mm -hmm. to. That, That also just requires the price to come down for EVs to get them into more garages and to decarbonize as rapidly as possible. It also requires buy-in from landlords, to Mike's earlier point. He's a renter. I'm a renter. I think a lot of us here are. Um, Whenever I think about exchanging my (laughs) aforementioned old Jeep for an electric vehicle, I think about, well, if I had to move from place to place, would there be the infrastructure there to charge it? And could that vehicle then be used, to your point, as an energy source for the unit in some way? Yeah. And Ariane and I a couple months ago now, I think, wrote about what do city dwellers do about charging their electric mm-hmm. vehicles if you don't have a garage to to do so. Uh, and there's, I think, going to be interesting things happening in, in lower income neighborhoods in particular. We need to get more electric vehicles there because air quality tends to be worse. Um, it's, an, it's an equity issue as well. But yeah, the charging question is going to be, going to be interesting. Do we convert gasoline fuel stations into EV fast charging stations? That sort of thing. Well, I hope all the policy wonks and legislators out there are listening to our Gadget Lab podcast. So when the inevitable revision of the bill comes or future revisions, some of these things are factored in. Um, and more credits for e-bikes, right, Mike? Please. Yeah, yes. that, w- that would have been nice to have. But uh, in the meantime, we'll just keep on pushing. That's right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is from Bike Calori himself. <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with our weekly recommendations. Ariane, let's start with you. What's your recommendation this week? Okay, my recommendation is an experience. Um, Yesterday, I went to a baseball game. It was so nice. They're not that expensive. I mean, they're kind of expensive, especially if you get a beer. But if you don't get a beer and you buy cheap tickets, it doesn't have to be expensive. And it was just so delightful. And yesterday at the Mariners game, which is the game I went to, 
uh, you could bring your dog. So we brought our dog and it was the greatest. And then we walked around the field with our dog afterwards. And honestly, it was just the most delightful thing that's happened to me for a long time. So go out there and celebrate America's pastime with your dog, without your dog. It's lovely. Did you get on the big screen? (laughs) We didn't get on the big screen. No, tragically. There are like a lot of (laughs) other cute dogs there, unfortunately. And I guess they thought they were more photogenic. I'm not offended. Mm. What's your dog's name again? My dog's name is Cosmo. Cosmo. All right. Well, you'll have to go back to more games so Cosmo can get his chance. That's true. And did the Mariners win? The Mariners won. Who did they beat? They beat the Nats. Nice. Oh, nice. So that's your old home. That's right. It was, yeah. Your new home beating your old home. It's controversial. (laughs) (laughs) Is your partner a Nats fan? Uh, Oh, we've switched our allegiance to the Mariners a little bit. The Nats, I don't know if you're, (laughs) if people are baseball fans out there, the Nats have have mismanaged the season and we are not rewarding them with our loyalty. Right. Also, the American League is better. We can all agree on that. I'm actually a Dodgers fan, but sure. Sure, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I grew up a Mets fan, so. Mm. (laughs) Um, That's a great recommendation. Thanks, Ariane. I haven't been to a baseball game in so long, Um, but we'll have to add it to the list. Maybe we should do a Gadget Lab podcast from one of those suites. Do you think we can get Condé Nast to pay for that? Absolutely. (laughs) I'm sure there's nothing that our bosses would rather spend thousands of dollars on. (laughs) Uh, Matt, we'll invite you. What's your recommendation? Um, not baseball. I don't, I don't have a, a single understanding of all the words you just said about baseball. But anyway, neither here nor there. Um, I would recommend a book called Children of Time, which I just finished. It's science fiction. It is fantastic. Uh, broadly speaking, it is about uh, humans engineering a virus to supercharge evolution in apes. And they're like, hey, we'll just fire it down onto this planet supercharge the apes evolution and they'll become human-like in just a few generations things go slightly awry and it infects spiders instead so the (laughs) book is a absolutely fascinating and entertaining tale of what happens when you supercharge the evolution of spiders and they take over a planet amazing what happens without spoiling too much uh, I would spoil it's it's all twisty and turny I, I wouldn't even dare give you any more information other than um whoops, we infected the wrong species with a supercharged virus. And do the spiders maintain a spider-like size or are they like Hulk spiders? Good question. I think they're described as about the size of your arm. Oh my God. So sizable. But they're they're like (laughs) hyper intelligent. They invent all sorts of crazy stuff. I won't spoil it, but it gets gets pretty wild. Highly recommend. I look forward to the Hollywood adaptation starring Rick Moranis. Perfect. Bring him back. (laughs) Who would direct it? Sam Raimi, of course. I thought you were going to say like Michael Bay or something. No, the best director of spiders of any sort is is Sam Raimi, I think. Was that because he did Spider-Man? Uh, yeah, sure. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who that, was, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Slightly larger than these spiders okay. in the sense of their size of his arm. He's bigger than that. <laughs> uh Mike, I already know what your recommendation is because earlier in the newsroom, you were sitting there at your desk just a few feet away from me and you went, oh my God. And I said, oh no, what's happening? What terrible news now just crossed your desk? No, it was great news. All right. Tell us about it. I I got the Wordle answer today with a guess, which never happens to me. It's usually like a long protracted process to get 
the Wordle answer. But my recommendation is Wordle because it is now in the New York Times app. So if you're a person who consumes the New York Times and you're a person who also consumes the New York Times on your phone through the app on iOS or Android, there are always games at the bottom. And for a very long time, we have not had Wordle, even though the New York Times purchased Wordle last year. It's now in the app. It just showed up like last week, I think. So uh, now it's easier than ever to play. And that's it. Very simple recommendation. Get into it. It's a lot of fun. If you're not familiar with Wordle, first of all, who are you? <laughs> Second of all, it's a game where you have to guess a five-letter word through a process of elimination using all of the words in the English alphabet. And uh, yeah, you get five try, six tries, five tries, six tries. I don't know. I never need any more than three like today. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, it is a lot of fun and now is native. So do it. Wordle it up. Wordle. And since by the time people hear this podcast, it'll be tomorrow's Wordle, you can tell us what the word was today. Yeah, it's it's needy. <laughs> I N -E -E guess. N-E-E-D-Y. So it was a process of elimination okay. for me because I guessed two very common words. I usually start with crate okay. or irate, depending on the day. Uh, so you're using up an A, a T, an E. Yeah, all the common letters. Yeah. And and I got all I got was an E and it was in the wrong place. And then I guessed some other word and it was an E at the opposite end. And there were also none of the letters other than the E were used. So I was like, all right, well, what letters do I have left and what word can I make with them? And I typed needy and that was the answer. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and that's when you exclaimed, oh my God. Yeah, I really the did. Newsroom. And then, and then Warren did the way. psychoanalysis and she said, well, maybe that was from your subconscious and you're actually feeling really needy today. <laughs> well, it's, time, it's yeah. true. I, well, not you, but you said earlier this morning, my God, I'm, I'm getting like 80 text messages and DMs right now from all, like, all these people. And so I was thinking, you were thinking that maybe the people around you were needy yeah like your writers i am needy because i need to know what your recommendation is mm. <laughs> well played so i finally finished the anna wintour book listeners of this podcast will know i've been talking about this for the past few weeks i finally finished it it was very good that is not my primary recommendation this week though but can i tell my anna wintour email story yeah anna wintour she is our boss's boss's boss here at Condé nast most people know who she is and um, occasionally she might show up on one of our Zooms. And very occasionally we get an email from her addressed to the company you know, in our inbox. And one time last year, I actually got a direct email from Anna Wintour. Two years ago, we had another podcast at Wired called Get Wired. Some of you might remember it. It only lasted for about six months in 2020. And it eventually won a Webby Award. And after it won a Webby Award, I got an email from Anna Wintour addressed directly to me saying congratulations and just another sentence or so, like just wishing me well and you should be so proud. And there were like exclamation points in the email. A note of huzzahs. Yes, and I was like, oh my God, I got an email from, and a winter emailed me, my goodness. And uh, the following week, I was hanging out with some friends in New York City and two of these friends in particular had worked very closely with Anna. And they asked how work was going, and I told them a little bit about this podcast. And oh, by the way, it won a Webby Award. And uh, you know, and, uh, oh, and by the way, I actually got an email from Anna Winter. I mean, you could tell I was like, I was pretty blown yeah. away by this. Yeah. And they said, well, what did it say? And I described the email to them, and they said, oh, there were exclamation points. Yeah, her assistant wrote that. Trombone <laughs> <laughs> <Bravo> noises. <laughs> so anyway. Um, 
that was my that was my email for my mentor. That's my story. Directed the assistant with absolutely. general kudos absolutely. toward you. Yeah, even I'm, if there I'm, weren't for her fingertips. Yes. she spoke your name. Yes, I. It's that is going on my LinkedIn profile. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> also, so when when she sends company wide emails, it always says no subject, and it's terrifying. Because you're like, <laughs> like this is it. This is it for me. <laughs> yes, and that's what happened. It was directly to me with no subject, so I assumed it was a company-wide email, and then I opened it. Lo and behold, was addressed to Lauren. Wow, that's yeah. very special. Just never has a subject. Yes, we should Power inspire. Move. Yeah, who needs to one? send our emails without subjects? Straight to the point. It's an unnecessary yes. field. Yeah, straight it's to the point. But the book was actually fascinating. So I guess like that is a recommendation of mine, but it's not my primary one this week. Oh, that's not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so what, Lauren, what is your recommendation? Okay, okay. So <laughs> you're so needy, Mike. Uh, my recommendation this week is on point with the rest of this conversation, um, which is the NPR Life Kit series focused on money. So NPR Life Kit is a really wonderful podcast and it's very popular, but they have since branched out and now there are these sub Life Kit podcasts. There's one for health. And anyway, so I've been listening to the one for money. And it's great because it's really on point. Many of the episodes over the past six months or so have been focused on inflation and how to save money if you're really feeling the pinch from inflation. But sometimes they bring in uh, outside guests that just are, you know, maybe they'll bring in an auto expert who tells you here are the three things that you need to get your car checked for on a regular basis so that you don't end up spending thousands and thousands of dollars in repairs down the road. And that was actually really inspiring to me because it made me think, oh, I haven't had my tires checked in a really long time. And I called the tire shop and it turned out I hadn't had them looked at since 2016. And I was like, Got to add that to the list of things to do this year. And they talk a little bit about how not to spend emotionally because a lot of times our finances are tied into our emotions. Um, and yeah, just how to save money. So I have really enjoyed listening to NPR Life Kit Money and I highly recommend it. Nice. I wonder what my deep existential despair causes as far as my spending habits are concerned. It could be a lot of things. You could do a little retail therapy and not realize that you're doing it. You could be ordering more takeout and justifying it in some way because you're busy or stressed and you're not really realizing how much you're spending on takeout. Um, it could, yeah, it could be a lot of things. You don't need those 10 milligram gummies. You need 15 ones. Oh, spoken like true Californians. Yes. All right. Obey the law. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so when you're done reading the book about the pre-2008 Condé Nast era um, and, and the wild expenses, <laughs> listen to NPR's Life Kit on money and how to save money. Solid. All right. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much, Matt and Ariane, for joining us. That was great. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks, Mike, as always, for being a great co-host. Of course. And not too needy. <laughs> and thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth. We'll be back next week. Bye for now. Bye.